Thank you to our sponsor, the Open Society Foundation, an organization that works to build vibrant and inclusive societies whose governments are accountable and open to the participation of all people. Hi, welcome to another episode of the Hashtag Tell Black Stories podcast. I'm your host, Rashid Shabazz, Chief Marketing and Storytelling Officer at Color of Change. The Hashtag Tell Black Stories podcast was created as an extension of Color of Change Hollywood, an initiative changing the rules in Hollywood, ensuring accurate, diverse, empathetic, and human portrayals of black people on television and throughout the media landscape. We're here live from the 8th Annual Black Star Film Festival in Philadelphia, Black Star is an annual celebration of the visual and storytelling traditions of the African diaspora and of global communities of color, showcasing films by black, brown, and indigenous people from around the world. Today, I'm excited to welcome Jackie Olive to Hashtag Tell Black Stories podcast. Jackie is an independent filmmaker and immersive media producer with more than a decade of experience in journalism and film. Her debut feature documentary, Always in Season, is screening here at the Black Star Film Festival. Always in Season tells the story of 17-year-old Lennon Lacey, who was found hanging from a swing set in rural North Carolina and follows his mother's search for justice and reconciliation with a trauma of more than a century of lynching African-Americans bleeds into the present. The film first premiered at the 2019 Sundance Film Festival and was awarded the Special Jury Prize for Moral Urgency. Jackie, welcome to Hashtag Tell Black Stories podcast. So excited you're able to join us and congratulations on many accolades you have received for your documentary always in season. Thanks, Rashid. I appreciate it. And I'm really excited about the work that Color of Change is doing at the intersection of uh, social justice, racial justice, and media. It's exciting. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, We had a conversation with Joe Brewster and Michelle Stevenson about their film Changing Sing, which deals with the history of lynching and draws on the story of Claude Neal a 23-year-old African-American man who was arrested in Jackson County, Florida on October 19, 1934 for raping and killing a 19-year-old white woman. With no real proof, a mob of white men and women gathered and brutalized and lynched Claude before he could be tried. The lynching was the last known public spectacle lynching that has been documented. Always in Season also looks at the story of Claude Neal and ties it to the present with the hanging of another young black man, Lennon Lacey. Why did you decide to take on this story? Yeah, it was really important uh, to me. I saw the the collection of lynching photographs and postcards called Without Sanctuary, lynching photography in America that showed lynching victims um, hanging and it showed white spectators posing really proudly with the bodies of lynching victims. And uh, their images called to me to want to know more about the story, about the circumstances um, that must have been horrific um, that the lynching victims found themselves in. Can you talk a little bit um, about your project, talk about Lenin, talk about that story itself and the tie that you're trying to connect to? Yeah, absolutely. The film connects the historic um, racial terrorism to racial violence today through the story of um, Lennon Lacey. Um, And we follow his mother, Claudia, as she seeks to get an FBI investigation opened into his death. Um, but it's really about, um, I began filming, the, I made the project over 10 years, it's a decade in the making, and I began filming in communities around historic lynchings like Claude Neal's. Um, one of the communities is in Monroe, Georgia, mm-hmm. where they reenact a 1946 quadruple lynching um, every year. 
and amateurs come together. Um, people do that for various reasons, but um, because essentially because they want to make sure that the victims are never forgotten. They believe that some of the perpetrators are still living there. There was an FBI investigation opened into the case in 1946, and they were looking. Um, it stayed and it remained open um, until last year, um, and they were really looking for justice. They felt like some of the perpetrators were still living in that community, and so the film was early on very much about what people are doing on the ground um, for justice and reconciliation around uh, lynching. And it was about the impact on the entire community because lynchings were often spectacle um, events. And so thousands of people um, in communities um, would come out to a lynching, men, women, and children, to watch as entertainment. Um, and then they went home and no one talked about it. Um, there were incidents where the press would write in the newspaper for people not to talk about it. And so when you have this seminal violence, um, this horrific brutality that the entire community, um, even when you didn't, even when you weren't there, you knew the violence was happening. If half of your community is out cheering on the violence, you can hear the screams, you can smell the burning flesh, and so when that happens, the entire community is impacted. Um, and so the film has always been about um, what's the residual when there's immediate cover-up and denial, and um, this history is not unpacked in the way. Um, that it deserves and in ways that we can um, draw out the lessons from the history. I've seen the film several times and I'm always left uh, with a sense of the history that we still live with yeah. and that the impact has had. And this year marks the 400th year of enslaved Africans being brought here through violence and terror. Mm -hmm. 400 years of racial terror and injustice that color change and others work every day to try to address. What I can't shake is the title, Always in Season. Yeah. We have seen, we have been in season for 400 years. Can you share more about the title and where that originated for you? Yeah, absolutely. The more that I started um, uh, learning about this history, I studied it uh, and, and researched for two years before I began filming because I wanted to really understand the scope of the terrorism. And the more that I learned, um, the more appalling and shockingly brutal the violence was. There was a point at which I thought um, there was a, I began filming with a woman, Doria Johnson, whose great, um, great grandfather was lynched in Abbeville, South Carolina. He was beaten, stabbed, hanged, and then his body shot 200 times. And it's horrific, and he was a, he was a family patriarch. He had a certain level of wealth um, that they lost. Um, they lost connections to their family members and connections to that economic empowerment. Um, but the, the level of the violence was uh, horrific, and I thought that that was probably the worst of it. And then I came across the case uh, just um, because I lived in the area in Pensacola, Florida, where the victim there was, his body was shot 2,000 times. And it was shot up so much that the military base thought that they were under fire. Um, and so the more that I learned, um, the more um, I got a sense of the scope uh, uh, of the terrorism. And it actually was terrorism. Um, and so. I wanted to really convey that, and I wanted uh, it to not feel like, um, as we're looking, for example, at the story of the reenactors um, in Monroe, I didn't want that to feel like um, this kind of interesting oddity, this one-note story. I wanted people to understand that lynchings happened across the country, um, that the scale of brutality was enormous, um, that it was terrorism, and so that was the reason why um, we decided to layer um, the story of Claude Neal into the film. Uh, the, Always in Season focuses on those two stories that you mentioned, the reenactment in Monroe and Lennon Lacey's death. And Claude Neal is kind of this opportunity to kind of lay this layer of terrorism 
when the audience feels like they understand what's going on, it's a way of making people understand that there's a level of brutality that you can't really process and you can't, and that, that you shouldn't be comfortable with. One of the things I appreciate about your film is, of course it's heavy, but you include in it the reenactments, which for some are heavy, but for others are healing processes. Can you talk a little bit about your process of yeah holding all this information and then still trying to get to a place of reconciliation and healing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the exciting thing about this film, and the thing that's really driven me um, from the beginning, is to find that there were people on the ground who were doing the work of confronting this history, looking at how they can repair the damage, um, in order to ultimately lay the groundwork for healing. And so um, when I came across people like the Reenactors, who um, is a um, interracial group, people um, who have a, there's a woman in the film, Olivia Taylor, who um, witnessed a lynching when she was three, and her father was a leader in the Klan. Um, and so people had various reasons for coming to this story. Um, black actors who came, um, not understanding uh, even the history of where they lived in Stone Mountain, Georgia, before they started to participate in the, in the reenactments. And so um, people came uh, with a certain uh, personal uh, motivation um, and their sense and understanding of what happened evolved over time and that they were um, courageously confronting this history was really inspiring for me um, and is really what the film is about is that there's a lot of work that we can do um, that we're capable of doing despite the discomfort despite the fact that it's intensely emotional that's really necessary and that there are people doing it around the country um, uh, increasingly in larger numbers is really encouraging. Thank you. At Color Change, we launch campaigns every day and provide a political home where anyone can take action to build power and justice for black people. Obviously, racial terror is rooted in the legacy of slavery, the legacy of Jim Crow, the legacy of mass incarceration of black and brown people, and now the legacy of black people being shot and killed by police for simply living while black. Can you talk more about how you hope your film will be used to address racial terror and the impact campaign you're building to drive change? Yeah, absolutely. So we're releasing the film. Um, we're excited to release it on September 20th um, in New York in theaters, starting with the Metrograph in New York, and then 10 cities around the country from LA to the Bay Area, um, Chicago, Detroit, um, and then we're gonna move to the South, Dallas, New Orleans, and Atlanta, um, and Raleigh, Durham. Um, where I live. And so it's really uh, the opportunity to get the story out more broadly um, to people and to um, sync our impact campaign with the theatrical um, screenings. And so what we plan to do is we have plan to have deep dive um, conversations into um, this history um, and to center it around family members of the victims, mm -hmm. um, to center those conversations around family members of other forms of racial violence, um, but to, to look at, to unpack it, to be honest, to confront um, what's going on historically and what's going on now and make those connections, um, but then to look at what people can do for reparations. Um, and reparations mean, means a lot of things. It can mean certainly financial, um, financial restoration, but it can also um, mean that people do a reenactment. It's a reparations come out, comes out of the word repair. And for the people in Georgia, doing the reenactment was really meaningful for them. And so the question is, um, in these cities where lynchings happened, and they happened in every state before, not just in the South, um, in these cities, what's meaningful? to repair the damage, and, and it doesn't necessarily have to be one event, it can be multiple things that go on. And so the idea is that as people are working on this, they're building
coalitions to work on related issues of racial justice, like policing, like racial profiling, um, inequities in education, and all those um, institutions that we move through daily. And to really, um, it's important that we start to look at how we can show up in those institutions for each other, everyone. What I love about what you're doing and, and the impact campaign that you're building is this deliberateness about connecting the film to community and to actions that are already taking place. And in your in the piece, you have folks who are organizers already, Sherilyn Eiffel, Ryan Stevenson, who speak to the history and connect it back to the work. What I'm curious to hear a little bit more about is one thing that I'm, I'm holding as I think about the project is just the impact it already has on people to start a conversation. Yeah. And I want to hear a little bit more about the conversation you're hoping to have with for folks to have. Yeah, well, the conversation is, is uh, that we move through our emotions, that we move through the anger, fear, guilt, and shame around this to really talk in detail about what happened around lynchings. And I know that, um, that people of color understand uh, the terrorism innately. It's passed on um, in our conversations with each other across generations. White people, not so much. There's been this cognitive dissonance around this history that looks like cognitive dissonance, this um, disconnect between um, people other people in the communities, black and brown people and LGBTQ folks and, and um, people with disabilities, but there are these corners of communities that people are not paying attention to. Um, and so the idea is that we start to have a conversation in detail about this history so that we can really start to look at the details um, of what's going on now, the thread um, from the past to the present and to make those connections and to see it more clearly. Um, and we're doing that. I'm really excited to work with Monifa Bandelli, who's our new impact producer, who's the VP Monifa's of Moms, amazing. right? Yeah. The VP of Moms Rising, she's an incredible person. And Carmen Dixon, who um, just joined our impact team. And so we are planning to work with um, other organizations, partner organizations like um, the NAACP Legal Defense Fund that Sherilyn um, Eiffel is president of, and the NAACP, ACLU, um, uh, regional and local organizations like Song and Spirit House, um, but to really uh, start to work on a grassroots level um, in ways that connect people on the ground with these organizations who are already doing really important work like Color of Change. Um, we're really excited to partner with as well, but to really connect people to start to do the work that's needed um, around these issues. Well, we're excited to partner. We're excited that you're here. We Hopefully the podcast will be a vehicle through which to kind of tell the story more of what the project is. I want to take a chance here because we've talked a lot yeah publicly, this is I think the third time we're talking now yeah. about the film. Yeah. And what I wanted to, and you've had several questions for me, what is one question you wish I or others would ask you? What do you want people to know about you, about the film and this project that has not been told yet? Well, I love filmmaking, um, and I always want to talk about the process of filmmaking. And the, you know, the, the, and I, I have an amazing team of people that I've worked with: Don Bernier, who's the editor of film, and Jessica Devaney, um, who is uh, a producing partner on the film. But really, um, the process of taking, I filmed in nine communities across the country, um, and to take that, uh, all of that footage over 10 years, and to distill it into a really tight 90-minute. Um, piece that aesthetically does what I want to do, what I wanted to do, what I'd always envisioned. Um, 
is, I think, really uh, an exciting feat, and I had such a good time working with them. And so anytime I can talk about the process, I'm happy to. That's great. And also you work with Firelight Media Firelight Media. Well. Yeah, I've been a huge partner. Firelight Media, Sundance um, Institute, Chicken and Egg Pictures, Catapult Field Fund. We've had tons of um, funding partners, um, and I'm really um, grateful for that. And it's really been... Um, a revelation actually because this is my first feature film so this is my first time on the back end of a feature film and one of the things I didn't anticipate is um, the community that we were building um, that really then um, once the film is finished has really embraced it so it's an opportunity to celebrate um, with those funders and to move the film forward through impact is, is um, something we're very much looking forward to. I'm excited by the fact that more projects are seeing the process not ending once the film hits the screen, but that it's moving into impact and yeah. really connecting communities. And the fact that you've worked on this for so long, I'm sure to your point, is an opportunity for celebration, reflection, as well as changing this narrative. It is, and what's really important, um, it, Claudia Lacey, who's featured in the film, the film has been really an opportunity for her to get a deeper understanding um, about uh, the connections between what's happened with her fam to her family, with her son, and this history, and to have um, a sense of closure, if that's even possible. We premiered the film at Sundance, as you had mentioned, and um, Claudia, the very first thing that she said, we did a private screening because I didn't want her to to have to process her emotions um, on a public stage. And so the very first thing that she said was that she just, it was remarkable for her that we captured his story and how meaningful that, that was, that that gave her a sense of closure that she didn't have to carry Lennon's story alone um, has been really important to me. And so all that's a celebration and all that's a beautiful thing. And there's more work that um, she's planning to do to get the story out and we're planning to do to support that. We're here at Black Star Film Festival, and I believe this is your first time here. It is. I love Black Star. I love what Maori has done in building community for us and by us and her deliberateness to be unapologetic in what she's trying to create. Yeah. Some have said this is our Black Sundance. You have been both at Sundance and Black Star now. Where have you taken away from the time here, and why do you think we need our own spaces like Black Star? There's so much um, excellence in um, black filmmaking, and there's, so, there's such an importance for us to tell our story and to see um, and be um, in the middle of the energy of the people who are doing that um, is uh, incredibly inspiring to me. It's a beautiful thing, and we need to do more of it. All right, thank you. Yeah. So here's the last question that we always ask our guests on the Hashtag Tell Black Stories podcast. What is one story that has not been told about our community that you would love to see Hollywood put on the big screen? Oh, wow. I have to narrow it down to one. <laughs> yep, that's the challenge. <laughs> you know, there aren't enough stories um, that are complex and layered about the South and about black people in the South. Um, and there are all of these um, um, mythical images of black folks in the South and this dichotomy dichotomy between black and white and and who is representing the South and um, and, and defining that region. Um, and there's so much more coming from Mississippi that I know about the South and I know about our people that's really beautiful, really particular. There are different accents in Mississippi alone of black people. Um, and so to be able to convey that on the screen and to, to tell our stories in a way that um, is really complex, but that really represents um, the beauty and all of the aspects. And, and when I say beauty, I don't just mean those pleasant things, but I mean in those difficult things and those struggles um, that there is a life that's really important. 
Yeah. I appreciate that. I think it's so important because you're right, there aren't enough stories about black people in the South. And just to your point, what I love about us is our beauty and all of our messiness as well. Yeah. So thank you for presenting that. Thank you for the film that you're doing. And thank you so much, um, Jackie, for being with us today. Yeah, I'm happy And to. using your craft to elevate the need for a moral ur urgency to end racial terror. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, before we close, can you share for our listeners where they can find more information about Always in Season? And if you want to talk a little bit about what's the impact and where the first premiere will happen and yes. so forth. Thanks, Rashid. Yeah, um, so on our, on our website, alwaysinseasonfilm.com, um, you can get information on the festivals. We're still showing the film at festivals around the country. Um, and again, we'll be um, uh, releasing the film in theaters on September 20th, which we're really excited about starting in New York at the Metrograph. There'll be a list there of the theaters where you can see the film, and we'll, we will be out in communities with impact screenings as well. And then um, Always in Season will air on PBS on the Independent Lens series in late February 2020. Exciting. Thank you again. Yeah. You can find more of the hashtag Tell Black Stories podcast at tellblackstories.org slash podcast or whatever platform you stream your podcast. We also encourage our listeners to visit colorchange.org and join us in the fight to build a more just and humane world for black people and everyone.